This morning I get the honor of sharing and I don't really have like a particular Bible verse I'm going to read from because I want to cover a few different chapters and I'm going to actually flash forward a little bit on our reading. So spoilers for the next couple of days for the book of Job because we've been reading through the book of Job and this morning I, I really, I was like, God, I don't really know what to say because Job's been, it's a tough book to read. It's a great book to read, but it's quite tough to read because <laughs> like at the beginning of Job, to give some context to it, Job begins with a conversation between God and the devil where God is saying, have you seen how great my servant Job is? And to give some context, that's how it starts. And the devil's response to God was, well, no wonder he's so great. All you ever do is bless him and protect him and provide for him and nothing ever goes wrong. So then, now bear in mind, Job is not privy to this conversation. God decides, fine then, I'll tell you what, you can do anything you want to him, just don't kill him. So the devil doesn't really need much of an invitation. And we then go on this journey where Job gets sick. He loses family members. He loses livestock. He loses everything. I mean, all hell breaks loose in his life, but he does not die. And yet the Bible says that Job never once sinned with his mouth. And there's been back and forth conversations. And that God speaks basically at the beginning with the devil. Then he doesn't say anything. For ages, for chapter upon chapter, Job's wife pretty much tells him to just cuss God and die. Like, his friends betray him. Then he's got a friend who's not actually that bad a friend. He thinks he's been helpful and he's not been helpful. Job, I mean, and yet Job, his confession was at one point is, yet I know my redeemer lips. That's, I mean, that, what an incredible story. And now we're getting to the stage, we've just read in the last couple of days, where God steps into the conversation with Job. But before that, I really feel heavy in my spirit. I get the honor of sharing one of the devotions for the Forged Men group on a Thursday. And I just really feel like God, God wanted me to really speak very briefly this morning. And I really feel convicted that, to speak about the awesomeness of God. You know, I think so often I'm guilty of, and we can be guilty of, Thinking of Jesus as this gentle, meek, mild saviour, and he is. But I think there's sometimes where we can forget that he is awesome. And actually that we should, we should, there's a phrase that was like, we should be afraid, be very afraid. And I don't mean that in a sense of we have any reason to fear Jesus, because actually in his perfect love, fear doesn't exist. But I feel like sometimes we, if we go through life long enough, we can think that God is this safe little helper in hand as we journey through. And we forget that actually if he removed his breath from earth, we would turn to dust. That actually when he speaks, the mountains have no choice but to bow doubt. That actually there is nothing that can happen on planet earth that doesn't happen without his say. So even here when the devil is kicking off in Job's life, he's only able to do up to the point where God allows him to. And Jesus, I think of the awesomeness of Jesus. And when you read in the, the Gospels how many times Jesus steps onto a scene and there's one point where there's legions of demons. Now, legions means that there's thousands and thousands and thousands. And all Jesus does is walk into the town and they say, why have you come to torment us? Why? Because he is so awesomely powerful that there is nothing on earth that can happen that he does not allow. Now, I'm not saying he causes it, but he can allow it. God did not cause everything that happened to Job to happen to Job. 
But I was thinking about the, the, and I used a quote this Thursday about the, a quote from Narnia, and it was talking about Aslan, and I just love the quote, because they're basically getting ready to meet Aslan the lion, and it's Susan, who's the older sister of the four children, and she's like, I've never met a lion, I'm quite nervous. And she says to Mrs. Beaver, one of the characters, is he safe? And she says, nah, 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 nah. He's definitely not safe, but he's good. And I actually think there's a real sense of my spirit that actually God is not safe. We can't, re- like, think, like, he's not a safe little meek male, but actually he is the, oh, like, if God's presence filled us, we would have no choice but to fall at his feet. If God's glory fell, we would have no choice. It wouldn't be, we could not resist. Why? Because he is so awesome in power. And I don't say this to scare us, but actually I just think if we remember that and realize that he is fighting for us. He's on our side. I have no reason to fear him in a negative sense. I mean, the enemy should, because when he walks in the room, the enemy can do nothing. I always think a joke, we're coming up to Easter, and I remember one time I've told the story before, but I asked my dad about, what did Jesus do on Saturday? Because he died on Friday, he was resurrected on Sunday, but Saturday, what happened? And people might say, well, it was the Sabbath, or it made prophecies, but I was like, he was like, what did he do on Saturday? He went into the gates of hell and he took the keys and, and he gave me this big speech. And I was like, and there's part of me that thinks, what would that have even looked like? And I was like, I really hope they tried to get in his way. But then I realized, well, they had no choice. I know exactly what it was like. He just walked in and they had to run. They were terrified. And not the phrase, it's like, I don't like spiders. And it's like, but it's more afraid of you than it is of him. Well, guess what? The devil is more afraid of God than he is of anything else. And there is nothing that can stand against his awesome power. And so I, I really just feel like God wanted me, as we've been reading this, just to remember how awesome is God that yes, he's meek and mild and he's failing as a help, he's all of those things, but he is also the awesome creator. You see, I don't know if you've ever been overwhelmed at the glimpse of something or someone, but I also don't know, when was the last thing we just stopped to consider the awesomeness of my God? I mean, the songs we sing, shout to the Lord, I mean, the oceans wrote. <laughs> There's a song, So Will I, like if the wind goes where you send it, so will I. I mean, he, he decides whether it's windy or whether it's not. He decides, I mean... That's above my brain. But as we look at Job's life and the, the journey, it looks as if for Job that I've entitled this message that the, the, the future's already written. I don't really have a title. I gave it to Gary too late. I don't think he... Oh, I did. The story is already written. And it's from Job 38 through to 42. The story's already written. And Anne shared an amazing message about the future chapters. And I really felt like it, it encouraged me beforehand because I felt like, well, God, maybe you are speaking here. But the whole book's been really challenging. Hell has broken loose in Job's life. But the story is already written. You see, I believe that God had a plan for Job, and God knew Job chapter 42 before Job chapter 1 had even happened. God knew what was going to happen. He'd already written that story before the devil even had that conversation with him. And I wanted to encourage you that God has already written the future chapters of your life. He's already written it. Whatever you're going through right now, I want you to know that God has already written the future chapters. The story is already written. And here's my encouragement this morning, that God does not save the worst till last. That's not what he does. God's best is always, I believe, in front of us. 
With God, the former is always greater than the latter. When Jesus turned water into wine, the last wine was better than the first wine. Elisha, however you want to pronounce it, he got a double portion of what Elijah had. That's just the way God works. Job in chapter 42 ends up with double what he had in the first place. Why? Because now I'm not saying if you go through all this, but I'm saying God's best is always in front. He's not the God of, he is the God of the past, but he's the God who is always moving forward. And I believe that there's people this morning that God just wanted me to remind you that your, your story is already written. And that greater influence is coming. I believe that the best songs you're ever... I mean, Pastor Jim's favorite song that you've ever written, Scott, is In Your Presence. But I'm believing that the best song you're ever going to write is in front of you. I'm believing that there's greater songs to come. I believe that there's greater opportunities to come for us. I believe there's going to be greater resources. I believe that there's going to be greater and greater and greater. Because I believe that the story's already written. And all we have to do, like Job, is just live in the obedience and actually... <laughs> all hell might be breaking out in my life right now. But I'm standing on the promise and the confession that my firm foundation is in Christ. And actually, if I'm going through stuff right now, he was faithful then and he's going to be faithful now. And he'll be faithful to every generation. You see, I believe the story is already written. I also, I love debate. I love it. Don't care what the topic is. I love a good debate. I love watching debates. I love discussions. I love the arguments. I love... Pretty much my decision on whether someone wins an argument is who goes to the personal attacks first. If you do that, you've lost the whole, you've lost the argument to me. That means you've lost the plot. But I just love it. Politics, even things that don't matter, like co I just love, I love watching debate. I would happily sit and watch debates on anything. I love the back and forth. I love the responding. And there's been a lot of debate in the story of Job. <laughs> Job's debated with his friends, he's debated with his wife, his wife debated with him, he's basically debated with everyone. And yet, Job does something that I think he does it better than anyone else in the entire Bible, and he does it better than we do sometimes too. Because he doesn't debate God. You see, maybe it's just me, but I was speaking to my mother this week, and it's crazy how Sometimes we all get negative thoughts in our mind. We all get thoughts about ourselves, insecurities. And it's amazing how I won't debate them. But if God says something about me, I debate him all the time. <laughs> it's so easy for me to be a, leave a lie that I already feel about myself than believe what God says about me and his word. And there's only one of us who knit me together in my mother's womb, and that was not me. Before he, before he formed me, he knew me. And yet he says something about me, and I find it really hard to believe. I'm like, oh, well, that can't really be true of me. But yet the devil will come and say, nobody's listening to you. <laughs> what could you ever offer? You've messed up so many times. That... And yet I, I, I never debate that. I, I rarely debate that. I just I let it sink. And I think it's why Paul wrote that we need to take captive of every thought, because actually we need to recognize what truth is and replace our brain. But, but the Bible's full of it. Moses, the prince of Egypt, who I think was the only, I mean, when you look at the whole story, and I don't want to go into it because it'll take forever, but Moses was like the one person on planet Earth who could go into Pharaoh and not get killed immediately. Because the Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptians, but he was a prince of Egypt. And God said to him, you will go, and his response was, well, I can't talk, which is a lie, because he was, well, it wasn't a lie, but like, he could talk. He could speak in Egyptian, he could speak in, like, he could. And his response, and do you know what happens? God then says, fine, Aaron will go. 
So Aidan ended up getting some glory that Moses could have had, not that he takes the glory for himself, but actually God used Aidan instead of Moses just because Moses debated with God. I'm convinced any of the Israelites could have killed Goliath. But David ended up with the glory. Why? Because he didn't debate with God. He was like, well, God, fine. <laughs> you, I'm going in your glory. And Job here, because God speaks in and he says, Job, who, who is this who questions me? And then God goes on in chapters 38, 39, just saying, were you there when I created the foundations? Do you tell the sun to rise? Do you? And Job's like, I can say nothing, I'm sorry. And God's like, I'm not done yet. <laughs> Stop talking. And he just goes on and on. And basically Job's response is, I'll stay silent. You see, God speaks. When God speaks, you don't. Have you ever had that when someone's speaking? It's like when I'm speaking, like a teacher. Any teachers are like, when I'm speaking, you don't. And um, that happened to Lindsay a lot growing up. Not so much me. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But Job's response was, I'm just going to stay silent. I can say nothing. You see, humility, I believe, is recognizing that God has a plan for your life and being obedient to his purpose and glory and just being quiet when he talks. Job is full of conversations, and yet Job never sins with his voice, and because of this, I believe God elevated him. You see, R.C. Sproul wrote this, when God says something, the argument is over. I mean, I don't know about you, but like normally when someone with authority says something, it's like the debate is done. That means it's over. And yet Job, he just stays silent. His response when God goes after him, he just says this, the first time he says, and for I am nothing. How would I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. And then Job replies to the Lord the second time because God isn't done with that. And he says, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is it that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I and I was talking about things I knew nothing about. Things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. And then Job says this incredible, I mean, is it, it, this about God? I had only heard about you before, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my, my repentance. And then it says this in 42, you'll read it in a couple of days. It says, after the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said this, to Eliphaz the Temanite, Job's pal. I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken accurately about me, as my servant Job has. I mean, it's this incredible, I mean, I've never heard the audible voice of God. And to be honest with you, I think I'm kind of okay with that. <laughs> because I think it would probably, and I don't mean that, and I mean it would be an awesome experience, but normally if you need to hear the audible voice of God, it's either he's calling you to do something that's so going to scare the life out of you like Samuel, or he's going to have to bring you in humility to your knees and say, and I would rather I taught myself how to be humble than God have to teach me how to be humble. And I'm not saying I'm perfect at it, believe me. But there's just something about when God speaks and the story is already written that your response to that when God speaks will determine how the story is written. If you humble yourself before him and say, do you know what, God? I actually, it turns out I don't know as much as you. I'm just going to be obedient to what you say. And I believe that then that's when we move into a season of blessing like Job 
had. And I believe if you don't, you end up like his palsy. God's not, I mean, I don't want God to ever not be happy with me. I mean, I don't want, to be honest, I don't really want anyone to be unhappy with me, but if it's a choice between you being unhappy with me and God being unhappy with me, then I'm definitely going to make sure that God's the one who's not unhappy with me. But it's more than that. Because not only was the story already written for Job, but it says right at the end of Job 42, it talks about Job's family, and it says, So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life, even more than in the beginning. For now he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camel, 1,000 teams of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also gave Job seven more sons and three more daughters. He named his daughter Jemima, the first daughter, sorry, Jemima, the second Kezia, the third Karen Hapuch. Probably pronounced that wrong. And it says, In all the land, no women were as lovely as the daughters of Job. And their father put them into his will along with their brothers. Job lived 140 years after that, living to see four generations of his children and grandchildren. Then he died an old man who had lived a long and full life. And I just thought as we were praying, I really had a real sense of... Job lived a full life. But it says that... Oh, sorry. It was four generations of his family before his life ended. So after this point. But it says, but his daughters were the loveliest in all the land. But not only that, because back in those times, the sons were pretty much saying, but it says that his daughters were put in his will alongside his sons. Because it was about an elevation of everybody. That it's not about being smart, it's not about being the best. It's not about being the firstborn or the lastborn. It's not about being a man or being about a woman. But actually, God's plan is that everyone is elevated and we all have a part to play. That each one of us have got a story that's been written. And when all of our stories come together, it paints this incredible, beautiful picture. And you might be the first generation, the fourth generation, the 15th, millionth generation of believer, but actually you have a unique story that God has already written. And that actually, I want it to be true. That for our generation, for us, for this case, it was Job's daughters, but I want it to be the, the sons and daughters, and particularly the daughters here in this story, but I want the daughters and sons of new life to be the loveliest in the land. And I don't mean that, and I, oh, they're nice people. I mean, I want it to be known abroad that we have so much influence, and actually there's something different about those people, not because of anything we do, but actually because they carry the name of Jesus. And I, I'll be honest, I'm, the worship team can come up. I'm nearly, not quite finished, but I'm getting there. You know, I'm a third generation Jesus follower. Job went through a lot of stuff. He went through, I mean, at any point in any of these 37 chapters up to this point, Job could have easily quit. Do you know, he could have woke up one day and decided, do you know what, I am going to curse God and I'm going to die. Do you know what, I'm done. Job didn't do anything wrong. And the reality is there are some things in life that we cause. We make mistakes and we have to live with the consequences that we... But there's also some stuff that just happens to us in life that are just... Wasn't it my fault? I didn't do anything. I was doing the right thing and then this still happened. God was blessing Job. And then all hell broke off in his life. But Job's story was already written and he said, You know what? I'm my redeemer lives. No matter what happens to me, I'm still going to bless God. Every chance I get, I'm going to bless him. 
every chance I get, I'm going to praise him. You know, and if I'm sick, I'm going to praise him. If I'm going through loss and I'm grieving and I want, I mean, it's costing me everything I've got and it's taking every bit of energy, God, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to bless him. I'm a third generation. My papa was the first generation to follow Jesus. And he grew up as a Roman Catholic. I don't know if it was a Roman Catholic, but it was certainly Catholic. But they went to church, Mass, Christmas, Easter. Like, they, they were Catholic by name, but not really, they had no idea about Jesus. And then one day, a, a man at his work invited him to church, a service much like our church would be. And my, my papa heard, the, he heard about the grace and the mercy and the goodness of Jesus. The only one who can save him, the only one who could ever set him free. And, and he gave his life to Jesus that night. And he went home and told his parents. And he would want me to make it clear that his dad was doing what he felt was right. We had a conversation earlier about uh, with David and Jackie about different church things and how we've had the right heart but done the wrong thing. And basically, my, he would want me to make that clear that his father was doing what he believed to be right. But his father said to him, I want you out the house. Your mum and I are going out. You better not be here by the time we come back. My papa, who's given his life to Jesus, he's a, I mean, it's not like he's been a Christian for 100 years and knows what he's doing. He, I mean, he's just received this amazing, and he's faced with a choice. You can either denounce God and hell's going to break loose in your life. You've got a choice to make. So he left the house and it was actually so bad for him that his father had said to him, my papa's siblings, if you see our Frank in the street, I want you to cross the road or not. And he'd been disowned from his family. But his story was already written. And he was faithful and he said, you know what, I'm going to praise God, I'm going to bless God. My gran at the time did not know Jesus, so she wasn't happy either. And my papa would say, I'm praying for you. And she would, no, you're not, get away from me. That would must have been horrendous. I can't even begin to imagine what that must have been like for me. story was written and you know one by one through his story being written he kept persevering when all hell was breaking loose in his life and he was far from perfect but guess what he then his son became the pastor of this church and his grandson's an associate pastor of this church and that's three generations he didn't get to see four generations but he's up in heaven now and I look at it and think, at any point, if he had just walked away from it and said, and he probably in his human mind had any right to walk away, said, you know what, God, what you do? Where are you, God? But his story was already written, and he knew that his redeemer lived. And I'm believing, I'm looking at, they say a generation's between 20 and 30 years, so I look at those kids, I'm 31 now. So all the rise kids, I'm not, I'm no longer part of the, included in their generation. I'm now a generation up from it. But I look at them and I think this week particularly I've really been I think about my and I was like I can't even begin like we I stand on the shoulders and we stand on the shoulders of giants who went way before us they made it so my papa made it easier for me to be a follower of Jesus than he ever had and I thought I look at those generations and the generation that will come after them and think God help me to keep on going Help me that when my, I want the story that we write to keep on going beyond me and beyond me and beyond. I want to meet generations behind me in heaven who I can say, do you know what? 
we, we were faithful to God. And when hell was breaking loose in our life, guess what we done? We just kept worshiping. We just kept praising. We kept on serving. We refused. We refused to just curse God. We refused to, and actually we'll hear the voice of God. And I just, I really sense in my spirit that there are generations who, you might be the first, you might be the fourth, you might be the fifth. Who knows? I praise God for every generation. But actually in this generation, for future generations, the story is going to be about God's faithfulness and his provision. And actually that there might be some who are actually there. You're the first generation and there's a generation that's missing. But actually I'm believing that they're going to be the lovely generation that Job had. And that actually that God's going to do more in the future than he's ever done at any point in the past. You see, Job, it was in the second half of his life. I'm hoping I'm still in the first half of my life, but I'm excited that in the second half, God is going to do more than what he's done before. Can we stand if that's okay? Because I just want to pray for us. And then we're going to worship our God. But Father God, I pray right now, Father. Father God, I just I thank you that our story is already written. Father God, I thank you that you are with us and for us and that though it feels like all hell might break loose at any given point, Father God, we know that our Redeemer lives. We know that you are for us and not against us. Father God, help us as we look to the future and as we go through life to always be praising you and worshipping you. But more than that, God, help us to just help us to humble ourselves before you say, God, that you are in control. Help us to surrender our lives to you and actually recognize that our story combined with everyone else's story makes this beautiful picture for your glory. Where the best days of new life, the best days of our lives have yet to come. That future generations from Rice Kids and those who will come after them will actually go further and further than we could ever ask, dream, or begin to imagine. Father God, help us to just tell your story and help us to just walk in the story that you've already written and to not waver in the path no matter how hard it gets. In the name of Jesus, amen.